What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 105 of the 2QB Experience Podcast. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. And coming back for, I think this is your third time on the show, is uh, Brian Malone at Brian Malone FF on Twitter. Welcome back, dude. How you doing? Howdy. Uh, oh, man, you're testing my memory. I think this is my third time on the show. I think so. You definitely came on once when it was both Josh Lake and I. And <laughs> when we were setting up uh, this episode, you mentioned that maybe we should you should get bumped so that Josh could come on again and talk about Josh Johnson. So uh, I, that wasn't ever a realistic possibility. But uh, if Josh is listening to this, uh, we're thinking about you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, we'll try to make you proud with the Josh Johnson talk. Yeah, I mean, we have to talk about him. It's a 2QB podcast. He was a top five quarterback somehow in relief. So, uh, we'll, But we'll, we'll get there. And um, just in general, Brian, before we get to the Week 14 recap, I'm curious, you know, the playoffs are you know winding down here. We got two weeks left and I'm thinking big picture at this point and looking ahead a bit. What are you going to take away from the 2018 fantasy season? Do you have any thoughts on like draft strategy, in-season strategy, uh, you know, data and analysis with regards to players and teams, uh, how you consume fantasy content or make fantasy content? Uh, I don't know. Take the senior direction you want. Is, is there anything that kind of stood out to you from this year? Yeah. So I don't know how widely it applies, but I think the biggest thing for me is just paring down the content I consume and the, you know, the analysis I do and just making it as simple as possible. So one thing I've done and I've really been into lately is making these tables. So I'm, I'm mostly a dynasty guy and I've been making these age slash production tables for so far, just wide receivers and running backs and just, you know, focusing on the base rate and, you know, not trying to you know, I'm not a talent analyst, so I'm not trying to get too far into that. Just, you know, what do I expect from these guys going forward based on the base rate? And then tweak that based on what other smart people say, but not deviating too much. So when you say base rate, are you talking about points per game? Are you talking about trade value? Um, give, give me a little bit more explanation there. Yeah, Mostly points per game. So, you know, if you've got a, a 25-year-old wide receiver who has been a wide receiver too in his age 23 and age 24 season, you know, what's, what does that look like going forward? So I've taken, you know, wide receivers who have been drafted in the last 30 years. And, you know, if you filter all those out, you can come up with 15 or 20 guys who look roughly like, you know, Brandon Cooks, for example. And, you know, what kind of careers have those guys gone on to have? And I've been focusing actually quite a bit on that, trying to put that kind of stuff together. Has anybody you know, a younger player, maybe a first or second year receiver running back stood out to you as maybe somebody we're undervaluing when we, you know, look at his current production and compare that to similar players from the past? I'm going to go the other direction to start, but um, Kenny Galladay, I am not a fan uh, of him at his current price in Dynasty. So he's, you know, he's a second year receiver, but he's on the older side. And for guys that have never, you know, he's going to be a probably a wide receiver too this season, but guys whose best season, and I think his first top 36 season will be this season at age 25 and just a wide receiver too. It doesn't look good. He's not, you know, a third round startup pick like he's going in mocks. Yeah, that makes sense to me too, especially because, I mean, it helps that they got rid of Golden Tate, I guess, from just a target volume perspective, but his age was always one of the major knocks against him. And Matthew Stafford is, we, we know he's not an elite quarterback at this point in his career, and he's probably on the downslope, if I had to guess. I, I'm not trying to crap on Matthew Stafford necessarily, but that's, that's here I am doing it. Uh, I, I mean, does that have anything to do with your analysis there as well, just the, the quarterback that he plays for? Like, would you feel better if his quarterback was, you know, Russell Wilson or Jared Goff or any any other quarterback besides Stafford? 
Yeah, and it wouldn't, of course, um, it wouldn't matter to that that analysis I'm talking sure. about. But when I start to, you know, tweak those things, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not not thrilled with Stafford. I think um, I think the Jim Bob Cooter era is over after this season. So maybe there'll be a little more optimism heading into the 2019 season. Um, and maybe it's you know maybe it's not all Stafford. Maybe the system needs to change. Yeah, I I, I think you're probably right and. Yeah, the offseason is going to be here before we know it and going to shake up everything. That's why like, I like to think about this stuff now before the season is over is because we're going to shake up the snow globe here in a couple months. And I think it's good to get those baseline expectations because this is when we have the most knowledge of these players in their current situations. And yes, those situations are going to change, but there's something to be said about figuring out you know, when we have the data, how do we apply that data, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you can you can try to avoid some of the off-season risers who shouldn't be off-season risers. You know, if you've got your expectations set for players and the community goes way off the rails, you can be you can take advantage of that by trading away a guy. If you had to predict one guy whose value was going to go off the rails this off-season, who would it be? Hmm. Probably a rookie, a rookie wide receiver. Um let me think. Who's who hasn't been very productive? Somebody like I don't know Christian Kirk. So Larry Fitzgerald retires or moves on. Um, you know he was a trendy guy in rookie drafts, but he, he actually hasn't been very productive despite getting pretty decent volume. So you could see him jumping into maybe the fourth or fifth round of of startup drafts and pretty early in redraft too. Whereas his production just doesn't warrant it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we've probably waxed a little bit too long here on, uh, you know, dynasty strategy, looking forward to the offseason because we're still in the middle of the fantasy playoffs. And uh, we, let, let's get into the week 14 recap. And I'm curious, how many of your starters got vultured in week 14? And how did your teams fare in general with all that craziness happening? Yeah, I didn't get too, I didn't have too much trouble with the vultured starters, but maybe that's because my starters weren't very good. <laughs> I have been rostering a lot of, uh, Kareem Hunt and Matt Breida, which, you know, was tough this week. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to lose, I think, at least three teams, three playoff teams. Um, but my big my big team, my um, Dynasty Football World Championship team is doing really well. I've got a pretty loaded roster. And aside from playing Fournette over Diggs, which I already regret, uh, it's still going pretty well. How does that team look for next week? You think you still have a good shot? Yeah, the, I think the only guy I'm a little bit worried about is Tyreek Hill, but you know maybe I'll ride the Fournette train again instead of him. Oh, there you go. So, big picture, what else stood out to you in Week 14? What were your takeaways? Uh, you know, defense might actually matter, <laughs> or the, or the offensive, uh, you know, explosion that we had in the first 13 weeks, while real, maybe isn't as dramatic as we thought. Um, so I don't know how to tease those two apart, but you know. The the scoring was down, it seemed, and the good teams, the great offenses, didn't do very much. And New Orleans, in, in particular, is kind of scaring me a bit. Do you think that these defensive successes that we've seen over the past couple weeks have anything to do with just colder weather in general across the states? Is is that something that factors into your analysis at all? Like maybe that's why it's a little easier, is because easier for defenses to you know perform well because when you can go out there and hit hard in cold weather maybe that counts for more than when it's warm out i it seems ridiculous from me just to even ask but i i don't know that it maybe intuitively makes a little bit of sense where are you at on you know the effects of cold weather on fantasy production yeah i think it it makes some i mean you played sports outside it's not as fun as playing sports when it's 70 degrees it's it just hurts more when you get hit and the ball's a little colder man i watched 
the Washington New York game and so many drops just in the first five minutes drops muff punts uh, I mean it's just it's just different so I, I imagine that has something to do with it but it, it can't possibly account for all of you know the the shift that we've seen I think a lot of it's probably just variance yeah I think you're right and one of the things that stood out to me and it was just generally a an underwhelming week with regards to fantasy scoring just like week 13 and whether it was the weather or not one thing that stood out to me was even though overall like big booms were limited the scoring especially at the quarterback position just remains super flat and super consistent all the quarterbacks between qb1 and qb17 were separated by uh, under eight and a half fantasy points Uh, all the top 17 quarterbacks scored at least 18 and I don't know, man. If there was ever an argument for Superflex, like th- this is the type of week that proves it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the pass volume is still really high. I haven't I haven't checked over the last couple of weeks, but the pass volume uh, in 2018 is the highest it's been in years. Yep, and that and what that does is it props up those mid tier quarterbacks and those low tier quarterbacks. Even a player like Josh Allen, who we know is supremely limited at this point in his career, just based upon what he can do with his legs and the fact that he. Even if his passes aren't good, the fact that he's going to throw 20 of them per game, like that just inherently builds a ceiling into the floor that he already has with rushing. And you forget about it with a team that actually wants to throw the ball a lot. Like That's a completely different story in terms of you know floor and ceiling expectations. But I, I, I just continue to be amazed by the fact that like quarterback is so productive on the whole. And I just I wonder how we're supposed to... I feel like there's something wrong with that to some extent. Like, yes, I'm an advocate for Superflex, but I still want to be able to delineate between, like, the best quarterbacks and the, you know, the middle of the pack guys. But week to week, there just isn't any opportunity to do that anymore because every quarterback has a ceiling if they throw three touchdowns and every quarterback has a good floor because they throw, you know, 25 to 40 passes per game. How, how do you think we can delineate this? Do you think we need to raise the penalty for interceptions do we need to lower the you know the value of passing touchdowns or passing yardage uh this is something i bring up on the show with a lot of people and i know you you think about this stuff in terms of how our leagues leagues are designed do you have any thoughts on you know how to help make the better quarterbacks worth more in fantasy or does it even matter well yeah i mean it matters to the extent that we want this you know we want you want the players the the good NFL players, especially at quarterback where it should be, you know, maybe the easiest position to do this. You want the good players to be the highest scores and you want some stratification between them. So you don't want it all bunched up like this. I think part of the problem though, is that just, you know, historically good, you know, the best quarterbacks, Breeze, Rogers, Brady, they just haven't been that good in 2018, especially compared to their peers. So I think part of it is just some actual parity in the NFL um, you know, aside from Mahomes, who's standing out in their in their NFL quality quarterback play? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, not a whole lot of folks come to mind. Like Jared Goff stands out, but he feels more like system than skills to some extent. Or and you know, actually, who I wouldn't throw out there, and this is kind of surprising to me that I'm even saying this is Matt Ryan, a player who. I'm not a huge fan of, I think he's really, he hasn't been that great, but considering his circumstances and maybe his circumstances are driving some of his value to some extent, like how much they have to pass because of how bad their defense is. But he's been impressive to me this year, like more so than I was expecting. Have you been impressed by Matt Ryan? Yeah, actually. And over the, I mean, he's been a roller coaster in terms of fantasy production over the past few years, but he's actually been just good and a well above average NFL quarterback over the last three years. 
And I mean, he had a, he had a really rough week last week and the team might just be kind of falling apart, but that's, that's continued. And the, the trouble is he's, you know, a QB five, QB eight guy in fantasy. So he contributes to the, you know, the quote problem yeah. rather than, <laughs> you know, so he's, he's just part of that big middle class. Now you mentioned the perceived decline of Brady and Breeze and Rogers, and I'm curious what are you doing with that in your dynasty leagues? Do you own those guys anywhere? Would you be looking to either get rid of them as this age cliff approaches? Are you maybe looking to buy as people get too fearful of the age cliff? Like what's the play here with those older aging QBs? Yeah, I think especially for Brady and Breeze, cause they, they're coin flip every year, whether they're going to completely fall off the map. Um, but actually those are the guys that I'm looking to acquire because Everyone, everyone knows it. And I think they think, you know, okay, Brady has one, one season left. Whereas really, you know, there's a 60% chance he has one season left and a 30% chance he has two seasons left and a 15% chance he has three seasons left. And so I'm buying kind of on that idea that I'm, I'm buying at the one year value and, you know, getting a 30% chance at two years or a 15% chance at three years. Rogers is tough just because I'm, I'm worried that his name value exceeds his production value at this point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that the Teddy Bridgewater trade was a bit of an indicator on breeze. I think especially if they were to win the Super Bowl this year, it would be, it would make a lot of sense for him to retire at this point. I mean, he's, he's set these records in season. If he goes out with one more ring, I think that would be a pretty good narrative for him. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, at some point it's armchair psychology, but he doesn't seem like the Brady type who is just going to push his body until the very end and probably pass what should be the end. What do you think about Roethlisberger? Because he's getting a little long in the tooth himself. And he takes a beating every season, man. I mean, he's not the pocket quarterback. He's a big dude, but he takes he takes a punishment. So yeah, I put him in that same category. And he, I would not be surprised if this was his final season. So... He'd be a guy you'd be more likely to try to dump than to acquire, you think? Yeah, because he's a little bit younger, so people might think they have more time with him, though he's outproducing. He certainly outproduced Brady this season. I think he might have outproduced Brees so far. Yeah, he was one of the better values at quarterback in drafts this year. Him and Matt Ryan both are kind of on that cusp of, like you said, the QB5 to QB8 range who have been playing like top five, top eight quarterbacks, whereas the guys who actually took that high, uh, most of them did not uh, deliver on that draft capital Let's get back to week 14, and we got to talk about Josh Johnson's season. We teased a little bit at the top of the show, and I'm going to rule him out of consideration for QB Boom of the Week because no one really would have been starting him in the first place. So there was zero expectations. Of course, he's going to outperform expectations. But in terms of waiver wire for two quarterback formats, you know, two QB, super flex, should owners even bother with Josh Johnson on waivers or... Are we too deep into the season? Do we have our quarterback set, do you think, for the most part, for him to be ignored? Uh, no, I'm absolutely grabbing Josh Johnson. I don't see any reason he can't be Josh Allen for the next couple of weeks. I mean, he run the ball, get 200 yards passing, maybe get a couple touchdowns, passing touchdowns, hopefully get a rushing touchdown. You know, he should be in that QB2 range going forward with his with his running ability. The matchups on deck don't scare you. He's on the road at Jacksonville and then on the road again at Tennessee. Yeah, Jacksonville's the one that. So I, I tend to think of these one thing at one week at a time. So I Jacksonville bothers me in theory, but 
you know, they've been so bad across the board. Sure, they, I mean, they shut down Andrew Luck, but that, that was a weird game. Yeah. And his value isn't going to come as a passer. So I don't know if Jacksonville's particularly good at stopping QB scrambles. Uh, so I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so if Josh Johnson is out of contention, who is your quarterback boom of the week, the QB who outperformed your expectations the most in week 14? So I think it's got to be Tannehill on an, on a fantasy and NFL level. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd kind of written him off as a, you know, as a desperation starter in Superflex leagues, but he showed up in uh, week 14 against the Patriots, so that was fun to watch. Yeah, he would be my pick as well. It's the best score he's posted since week three, and only the second time all season he's cracked 20 fantasy points. You know, the only other time being that week 13 or week three performance. He did it only on 19 attempts, though. He got there with, again, you know, those three touchdown passes. You throw three touchdowns, and there goes your ceiling. You're instantly in the top 10 quarterback discussion. Can, we can't count on this going forward with Tannehill, can we? No, no, I'm I'm avoiding him. And actually, if, if we want to think of it that way, Derek Carr is the one who he also exceeded expectations this week, and maybe is actually is playing better than Tannehill too, especially considering the surrounding cast, which is just pretty embarrassing. Yeah, what the hell is wrong with the Steelers though? Like that? God, <laughs> well, what are they yeah. doing? I don't know. I mean, that's been the story for years, right? They just play down to the level of competition, and they'll turn around and compete with the Patriots next week. I, oh man, like I just against against a mediocre team, sure. Against the Raiders, no, you you can't put up that type of performance. Not when your playoff season is on the line, right? Like these guys are trying to make the three seed, maybe even the two seed, and and that's all gone now. They are, I mean, they might not even win that division anymore. It's it's wild. I can't believe what's going on in Pittsburgh. Yeah, at, at some point, that's that's the head coach's main job, right? I mean, just have your players ready to play, have the, have the game, you know, be ready for the game. He's been around for a long time, but maybe, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. The uh, Steelers have, have a, you know, they're a loyal organization, so he, there's probably not going to be any changes coming soon, but. Yeah, what if they had three coaches over the past, like, 60 years or something crazy like that? They, I, I don't see them moving on from Tomlin, but they, I, at some point, like, this, this stuff has to matter. You know, the fact that they can just never seem to win on the road. And they, and like you say, they play down to these bad teams and it continually, continuously bites them season after season. I don't get it. I'm going to throw out a couple other names here. Uh, Carr was on my list as well, um, but I'm going to tap Eli Manning uh, at Washington, who's the QB nine with uh, almost 20 points. And he was one of our streamers of the week last show. So it's not too surprising for Manning to perform well. But what surprised me and what was impressive to me was that he did it without Odell Beckham and Manning didn't even play the full game. Like eventually Kyle Lauletta got in there for a series. So I I just, I don't know. I was impressed by Manning. I, I don't think that was something I expected going into uh, week 14. Yeah, especially without Odell Beckham. Yep. Uh, who was your bust of the week at QB, the quarterback who underperformed your expect expectations the most? Yeah, there's a few candidates here. Um, so for me, it was Rizzers, uh, sorry, Rivers. I just thought Cincinnati was a smash matchup. Uh, another team that doesn't seem to have much going for them and just couldn't, just couldn't get anything done. Um, especially, I mean, Melvin Gordon's out. You thought they're going to sling it all over. Yeah, that was my main concern with them is even though Gordon was hurt, Cincinnati's so bad that I thought maybe they could get away with a run heavy script and just try to simply edge out a win instead of really blow out the Bengals on the road. I, I, I wasn't. I, I do have Rivers on my list. Don't get me wrong, but I think more disappointing to me. I mean, 
Jared Goff is an easy one to throw out because he scored negative points, but that was against the Bears defense. Still, I mean, I don't really care who the opponent is. Like, you shouldn't score negative fantasy points as a quarterback, and especially if you're build in this offense that's as transcendent as the Rams is believed to be. So maybe we need to pump the brakes a little bit on Sean McVay, or maybe we need to step on the accelerator for, you know, uh, hashtag weather fantasy analysis. I, I'm not sure. Uh, do you think that the Rams might have held something back in that game just on the chance that they would face the Bears again in the playoffs? That's tough for me just because, you know, home field advantage is so important and they're we're in contention for it. They're going to have a tough time of it now, but I think you got to play for home field advantage and leave everything out there. Yeah. The other guy that stood out to me as a pretty big bust was Drew Brees. We talked about, you know, just that matchup against Tampa Bay looks so juicy and Brees only finished as the QB 18 with under 14 fantasy points. Are we just really going to have to have the fear of God put into us every time Drew Brees goes on the road? Is this a thing? Yeah, that's a thing. And I think that's the, you know, the weather Twitter game. Uh, the field conditions were rough. Uh, even though I think the rain had stopped mostly by kickoff, but the, you know, the field was just rough. So they decided to go elsewhere. Yeah. I, be, I think, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think Dan Arnold was a surprise, healthy scratch. Um, just, and that, I remember somebody saying on Twitter, like this means they're going to run the ball. And it turns out that that was pretty accurate. Yeah, that's a good point too. That is something you, we do need to factor in. We've seen the saints do that a number of times, you know, last year and this year is that, when they can take the air out of the ball and just run it, they will do that if they think it gives them a better chance to win. And maybe that is predictable, but I, I honestly, against against the Buccaneers, I figured that wouldn't be the case. I thought that the Bucks would be able to score often and early enough to keep the Saints throwing, and we just never really saw that come to bear. Yeah, it may have just been that Tampa was a lot worse than we expected. Yeah, I mean, that's not too surprising. And, and I actually have some, some more on Tampa and expectations with that team uh, in the Week 15 preview. So let's get to that. I, I want to start off by reminding listeners that there are two games on Saturday this week. So make sure you check your lineups in the morning if you have anybody for Houston, the Jets, uh, the Browns, or the Broncos. Uh, those are the four teams playing on Saturday. And, of course, we still have a Thursday night game. A pretty good Thursday night game, actually. Uh, but... In general, Brian, can you offer any overarching playoff-specific strategy to the listeners? So one thing that applies to every team is to you know figure out who your toughest opponents are that are left in the playoffs and go grab their backups wherever they're weakest. So in Superflex, often that's going to be quarterback. You know, if you can go get Chad Henney, um, if you're you know if your toughest opponent is starting Mahomes every week. Just to, you know, really compound, if somebody goes out with an injury, you can really stick it to them if you've got the backup, too, on a, on a potent offense. And then, so then the other thing is, if you're a favorite, diversify your lineups and try not to overstack a game. And if you're an underdog, try to stack, you know, try to stack your wide receivers with your quarterbacks. Yep, totally. And kind of tying into what you talked about with stealing handcuffs from your opponents, you're going to have to figure out who is expendable on your roster, right? You have to figure out who to drop to make those sorts of pickups. So that is kind of tricky this time of year. I think that keeping some depth is justifiable because injuries will happen. Like you don't, if you start three wide receivers, you probably want to have at least one wide receiver on your bench. You know, one guy that you like and one guy that you trust that if one of your starters gets hurt here in week 15 in week 16, you'll feel good about, you know, the replacement wide receiver you have. With that said, even when you deem a player, could be expendable from your roster because you have no plans to play that player, you should still be mindful of dropping players who could potentially help your opponents, right? And this is 
it's it's kind of a fine line to walk and there's definitely no you know cookie cutter analysis say if you have this player you should always you know try to add his backup or this other guy but you kind of there's a feel to it right and I think that in general you don't want to drop a player who represents an upgrade to your opponent I think this is most handy when it comes to the onesie positions like if you play in a one quarterback league you don't necessarily want to drop a QB that's a, a significant upgrade from the starter they have unless there are already other good options like that on the waiver wire that they could add anyway. But tight end specifically jumps out to me where if you have two good tight ends, you might not want to drop one of them, even in, even though you only plan to start one guy going forward, because tight end is such a train wreck that one of your opponents, and in, in, in your case, like you described, Brian, maybe it's somebody who is your your, your, bi- your biggest competition, right? Your biggest rival. Like if that, that player very well might not have a good tight end, they might be running out, you know, somebody who's more of a coin flip, a Chris Herndon, or uh, I'm trying to think of someone else who kind of fits the bill. But that type of player, you don't want to give them Eric Ebron just because you have George Kittle or uh, Jared Cook just because you have Eric Ebron, right? Like even if you don't plan to start Jared Cook because you're going to be starting Ebron these final two weeks, if that Jared Cook upgrades your opponent at, you know, over Chris Herndon or over somebody else, I think that's a problem. And I think you got to avoid doing that sort of stuff. You have to be kind of careful about who you drop as well as who you add, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Tight end is a disaster. I write a waiver wire column for fantasy insiders and every week tight end is just, you know, uh, it's ridiculous. Like I, Dan Arnold was still on my waiver wire list, even though he was a healthy scratch last week, he was like the number two guy available on most waivers. Um, it's, it's complete disaster. Yeah. And I think defense looks that way too. Like you don't necessarily want to give somebody a defense who has a good week 16 matchup, even though you have a defense that has a better week 16 matchup. These are the types of things you got to think about. Now, one of the places I think in a super flex, you can gain a lot of advantage is by dropping your depth at the quarterback position, because often those QB threes are going to be pretty bad players. We're talking about, uh, you know, the Jeff Driscoll's, the Nick Mullins of the world, and you probably just have better, more reliable options than those players. But how crazy can we get here, Brian? Who is the biggest name at quarterback that you'd be willing to drop because you think it would better your odds in the playoffs? So from so I'm thinking of this as kind of the, the team that I'm most likely to drop someone from. So if I'm an underdog, I feel like I don't have the best playoff team and I need to just hit a home run at every skill position. Um, yeah. I think I'd drop, I, I would drop Stafford for sure. Um, that seems like the biggest name that I would drop. I don't know if he's the best, you know, producer, but no, I mean, he, he was my pick as well, uh, at Buffalo and home for Minnesota over the last two weeks. And he's been bad. Like that team has been bad. Their offensive offensive line is a mess. I think he is probably that biggest name that you could just feel comfortable saying, sorry, I'm done with you Stafford because I have two other guys who I trust more. And I mean, would you rather have Stafford or Josh Allen for these last two weeks? Oh yeah. I'd rather have Josh Allen. That's Man, that's insane. Just to think about like how far we've come this season, that that's something that we have to consider. But I want to throw a couple other bigger names, or I guess maybe not bigger names, but other quarterbacks who I think could merit some consideration, mostly just based upon the schedule. And the first is Jameis Winston. The Bucks offense, I mean, they throw a lot. They don't really have a running game, but they're at Baltimore and at Dallas the last two weeks of the fantasy season. Would you be okay dropping him if you felt good at the quarterback position otherwise? Oh, man. I knew they were at Baltimore. I didn't know they were at Dallas after that. Those are going to be a couple slow games. Yep. 
Uh, yeah, you know what I think I would be, and I, I might actually root for my opponent to pick him up and start him, especially if there's penalties for turnovers. You lay the trap, man. It's it's masterful. Now, how about Carson Wentz at the Rams this week and then home for Houston after that? The Houston defense has been pretty good lately, too. Yeah, Houston's been pretty good, but the Rams, you know, you can score points on the Rams, especially if they want to score points on you. So I'm holding on to him for at least one more week. Yeah, that makes sense. I think you could get a shootout there because as we – just saw in week 14 uh, that Eagles defense uh, gives up some big plays, and the Rams uh, do like to chuck it. I think that's going to be an interesting matchup. Who's your favorite, or who do you think is the most intriguing quarterback streamer of the week? Uh, we're looking for like a low-end QB2 or QB3 type who owners wouldn't always start. Yeah, so I'm going back to Josh Johnson. Like I said, I don't I don't see why he can't be Josh Allen. And I know the, you know the Jacksonville matchup isn't great, but when so much of your value is predicated on running the ball, I'm I'm not so worried about those defensive matchups. Yep, along the same lines, I've got Josh Allen tabbed here again. I mean, the rushing production matters, uh, and Detroit is not a super scary matchup. They allow about 17.5 points per game to quarterbacks. Uh, average weekly finish of QB 15.6, which is middle of the pack, about 16th in the NFL. They've allowed nine top 20 finishes this year, and I think with the rushing production that Allen provides that top 20 is is a pretty easy thing to cinch up. I think he's going to get there. What do you think about digging a little deeper and looking at maybe Derek Carr or Jeff Driscoll in that matchup? I have a, a bold prediction on these guys. And you know what? Uh, I'm just going to weave that in now because we're talking about them as streamers. I'm going to uh, boldly predict that the Oakland and Cincinnati matchup shoots out to some extent, and it's going to make both Carr and Driscoll top 12 quarterbacks. Now, that's a, a ceiling project projection when I'm talking about a bold prediction, but at a more, I guess, median projection, do you think these guys can be useful in Week 15? Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought about Driscoll, but Carr was definitely um, atop my mind when you got to that. So yeah, I'm I'm good with either of those guys. Depending, you know, in a in a 12 team superflex league, especially, I think Driscoll's got to be in consideration there. Yeah, and I wouldn't tab him if he you know, wasn't at home here. Like if he was on the road, I wouldn't even think about it. But I, I think that there is something to, you know, these, these QBs on or at home uh, in good matchups. Like the Oakland defense is not good. They've allowed six top 10 finishes, 11 top 20s, about 20 points per game, which is sixth highest in the NFL. I, I think the biggest problem with Driscoll is how productive Joe Mixon can be in the running game. And we saw that in week 14 and that could very well happen here again against the Raiders. So I'm, I'm a little hesitant. Like that's why it's more of a bold prediction. I'd rather start Josh Allen. I'd rather probably start Josh Johnson. What do you think about Josh Rosen at Atlanta? Because the Atlanta matchup has been really choice. Nine top 10 finishes against, 12 top 20 finishes against. Points per game, 22.1, which is most in the league. Uh, the average weekly finish against the Falcons is QB 9.8, also first in the league. So quarterbacks beat up on this team, but does it matter when that quarterback this week is going to be Josh Rosen? Like, does the matchup supersede the problems that Rosen has and that the Arizona offense has? I think the answer is no, the matchup doesn't supersede that. But the one little ray of hope I have for Rosen is that Atlanta's, they just, they uh, give up a ton of receptions to running backs. And of course, when you're throwing the ball to David Johnson, he can make anything happen. So if he's getting nine catches again this week, um, you know, he could make him pay for one or two of those and bring Rosen into the mid QB2 range with him. How about Nick Mullins against Seattle? Uh, on the road at Seattle, he put up pretty good numbers in garbage time. I don't know if he can necessarily repeat that type of performance, but 
Leading into Monday Night Football, the Seahawks had allowed four straight quarterbacks to top 20 points, Mullins, Mullins being one of them. Unfortunately, the other three were Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers, and Cam Newton. So I don't know if we can read too much into that when we're looking at you know Mullins, uh, you know the repeat performance. But I don't know. He's he's looked competent, if only because that team around him and that offensive scheme around him tends to suit what he does. You know, he he's scoring thanks to the system. Like this is kind of a, a bad version of Jared Goff on the Rams, if you ask me. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm I'm still nervous about the Seattle matchup. I mean, right now they're handing it to Minnesota on defense at least, so I'm not thrilled about that. I'm not going out of my way to get Mullins in there. Yep. Now, the last guy I want to ask you about is Mitchell Trubisky. Does he even qualify as a streamer in your mind, or has he already kind of elevated himself from a production standpoint into every week's startability consideration? Yeah, I think for most teams he should be starting for you every week, and I'm not going to – I'm not going to knock him out of that against Green Bay next week. Yeah, I was a little disappointed, even against the Rams. Like, the Rams have a pretty good defense. Like, they rush the passer well, of course, because they have Aaron Donald. Uh, But I had some expectations for him in that game. You know, I know it was his first game coming back from injury, so that probably contributed to his poor performance. But, I I mean, maybe I just didn't expect the game to play out in such a defensive-heavy fashion. But Trubisky did disappoint me. I think it kind of showed, again, that he is not a great quarterback he's in a good system and, and sometimes that props him up but it, can, do you want to try to talk me out of starting him in the scott fishbowl next week because i'm still alive most likely and i have to choose between him and the aforementioned mullins and driscoll i think trubisky is a slam dunk between those three but uh it, do you want to try to talk me out of it or no yeah no way even though i'm i think i'm competing against you next week i'm still gonna give you a good advice and say go ahead and start your <laughs> i yeah i don't think i was gonna waver on that one but I, I i do like to test these theories every once in a while uh with the guests who's your clipboard holder of the week brian the quarterback who you would normally start but you're going to avoid in week 15 yeah it's somebody we mentioned already and it's it's winston at baltimore um there's just no reason especially if you're league even minus one for interceptions but if you're minus two for interceptions i can't have him out there and i don't think it's going to be a, you know, he's not going to get the passing attempts unless they're in garbage time. So he's going to be out for me. I'd prob- I'm trying to think if I would start Josh Johnson over him. Maybe not. But if I've got Winston and another decent QB2, I'm probably going with the other guy. Yep. Winston was my pick as well. And you're right. Mistake-prone mistake, mistake prone quarterbacks against good defenses are just a little extra risky. This is when I think defense does matter is if you get that confluence of a pretty good defense and a quarterback who likes to turn the ball over. Whereas if you get Alex Smith against Baltimore, right? If you get that really conservative passer, um, I mean, maybe that's not a good example either because Alex Smith is more limited, but uh, I I guess that's the difference is like good QBs can beat tough matchups, but QBs who are sloppy with the ball, like Winston, I am worried about uh, him in this week's matchup against the Ravens. I think that we might see, Ryan Fitzpatrick get one more shot. I mean, it would only be fitting to get one more switch from this team uh, before the end of the year, right? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm rooting for it just because of the chaos. <laughs> so uh, a couple more options. Uh, how about Aaron Rodgers at the Bears? Like we saw what they did to the Rams. Uh, do you have any concerns about starting Rodgers uh, against Chicago? Like we saw what he did the last time but uh, that he faced his team, but a lot has changed since then, right? Yeah, I am. I am concerned about starting Rodgers, but I'm even going to be playing him in one QB leagues. I mean, I just I just can't go away from him. He's he's been there. They, I mean, they play the Bears twice a season every season, and I think he's going to get his even if it's just low end QB one numbers. 
How about Andrew Luck against the Cowboys? And the Dallas defense has been pretty good this year, but they've been a lot better at home for the most part. This is going to be in Indianapolis. Uh, so do you have any concerns about Luck? I, I'm not really worried about it just because he throws the ball so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm not either. The Jacksonville game gives me pause because that was an Indy too, but I just think that was a fluke game and sometimes things happen. So again, lowered expectations for Luck, but I'm starting him even in one QB leagues. Uh, a few more to throw at you. Uh, Drew Brees at Carolina. Are we just always going to fade Brees a little bit when he's on the road? Uh, I, I, I'm i not so sure about this week against Carolina. That matchup has been pretty tasty for uh, quarterback scoring. Yeah, Carolina should be a get-well game. Um, as long as you know the weather's okay, I'm, I'm throwing Breeze back out there. I'd start him over Rodgers, so if that says anything. Yeah, me too. I, but, I mean, shit, this is the same thing we were saying last week with Tampa Bay. So I'll pray that those Carolina field conditions are, are decent. I, I would throw out Matthew Stafford at Buffalo, but that's too easy. We've already talked about how we would drop him. So I, I think we can safely rule him out. He would definitely be a clipboard holder if he was on one of my rosters, but I don't own him anywhere. Uh, the last two, Carson Wentz at the Rams. Uh, we we touched on this a little bit, but you actually like this matchup a bit, huh? Yeah, I'm not I'm not scared away by this. It could go. It's a you know it's a high variance matchup. I mean, if they get you know if the Rams do what they did to Trubisky, then he could be in trouble. And I think the Eagles still give up a ton of sacks relative to the league average, so he could be under pressure quite a bit. But I think one way or the other, he's going to have quite a few pass attempts, and uh, he's going to he's going to score. So would you rather start him or Matt Ryan versus the Cardinals? The Cardinals have been very good against quarterbacks in fantasy this season. Uh, only one top 10 finish allowed, but eight top 20 finishes allowed, about 15, or, or excuse me, 14 and a half points per game allowed by the Cardinals, which is 30th in the NFL. Uh, average weekly finish against them is QB 18.5. This seems like one of those kind of good litmus tests for does defense matter? But I, I don't know if it really counts because no one passes on Arizona. They're so easy to run on, and that Cardinals offense doesn't really pressure opponents to score, that I, I think I'm still okay with Matt Ryan despite the numbers not really looking great in the matchup. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'd wanna, I would want to see the first half splits for Arizona's pass numbers because, like you said, I think you know Atlanta, if, anybody is, if Arizona's going to score on anybody, it's going to be Atlanta. And so hopefully they can, you know, not make that a shootout, but at least keep it a competitive, you know, relatively high-scoring game. I'm going Ryan over Wentz. Good deal. Uh, what else are you looking forward to in Week 15? Well, the Chargers-Chiefs matchup for sure. I mean, that's just going to – hopefully that should be the best game of the week on Thursday night. Top um, of my list as well. Rivers and Mahomes. Got to see that. Yeah, and then, you know, seeing what happens with Drew Brees and the whole Saints offense. Um, like we said, Carolina should be a get-well game, but – um, Tampa Bay, it should have been too. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, kind of along the same lines of, of seeing if the Drew Brees on the road death spiral can continue. I want to see if the Pittsburgh death spiral continues. This time they're going to be at home against New England, but that's lining up to be a pretty good game. I'm, I'm really excited to see how they come out to play in that one um, and, and how the Patriots play as well, because that's not an easy place for them to go either. All right, let's wrap up the show with this, Brian. I've already given you my bold prediction for uh, Derek Carr and Jeff Driscoll to be top 12 quarterbacks, RIP my mentions, but um, what, what's your bold prediction for Week 15? So I don't think it's quite as bold as you. I know it's not quite as bold as you. Probably oh. smarter, though, right? <laughs> uh, Packers beat the Bears, and basically just Aaron Rodgers carries the team. Um, he's had a rough season, but he's still Rodgers, and I think uh, that's going to be such a big matchup that – He's going he's gonna to put the team on his back and get him a win. 
I like it. Yeah, that'll be a good one too. I always like seeing those prolific players or you know high level players go up against the best defenses because that's when you really see that like when they do pull it out like Rodgers did earlier this year. Man, that is that's some of the best stuff to to see as a fan. And um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that game as well. Brian, thanks a lot for coming on the show, listeners. You can follow him follow him on Twitter at Brian Malone FF. Brian, you got anything else you want to plug or discuss before we wrap things up? Nope. Thanks for having me, and I uh, look forward to next week. All right. Good deal. Uh, check him out on the Dynasty Command Center as well. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me uh, regarding the show or what we got going on at 2QBs.com, you can hit us up on Twitter, at 2QBs. You can email us as well, 2QBs at gmail.com. And in both cases, you spell that out all with letters. It's T-W-O-Q-B-S. Please rate and review the podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already. That really helps me out. I'd really appreciate it. And until next time, good luck in the semifinals of your fantasy playoffs. Hopefully we'll get you to the finals, and you'll be back listening again next week. Adios. Adios.